Okay. Can you hear me? Very, very good. I've got plenty of kits, so just bear with me. Right, I want to start today uh, slightly different to normal. Uh, I don't get to preach often. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm uh, a member of the North Congregation. So if I say this afternoon or good afternoon or anything along those lines, it's because we normally meet in the afternoon. Um, I am also Scottish, which is fairly obvious. Uh, I tend to speak a little bit fast, um, although not as fast as some people that prayed out earlier. But um, if you do need a translator, it's tough luck. You just have to tune into the Spirit. Uh, I was feeling fairly bold before uh, this morning's service, and uh, after the service, for reasons which you will understand later, I'm feeling even more bold. So uh, here it comes. Right, so before we start, um, I'm going to need some volunteers. Uh, now, I'm not looking for children, for a, just, just for a change. Uh, let's see, who could we have? Now, we need somebody that's comfortable on stage, somebody that is comfortable drinking almost anything, somebody that's already feeling famous. Uh, oh, Johnny. Hey, Johnny. Oh, come on. Come on. That's right. Yeah, yeah. For those of you that don't know, uh, last weekend the church went away and uh, Johnny uh, gave a memorable recital. Uh, yes, please. Yeah. Um, in fact, Johnny, you look um, a little lonely up here. Who was it that you had with you? last weekend. Are, are your sidekicks here this morning? Tom is one of the sidekicks? Come on, Tom. It's only fair. I'm not asking you to uh, drink anything which is necessarily awful. So it's just the two of you. Or maybe we should have a third just for fun. Who would you like to pick? Nice. Here we go. Come on up, come on up, come on up. Three's the magic number. Now these guys, well, these two in particular became famous last week. Um, through drinking green eggs and and ham. Well, you didn't really drink ham. It's just eggs, green food colouring, etc., etc. So I wanted to fan their fame into fame. So, um, Chris, could you get me the little thing? What I wanted to do um, is to do a taste test. So uh, I was born in the 70s and I grew up in the 80s. And in the supermarkets, they used to do this thing called the Pepsi Challenge or the Coke Challenge. Could you discern the difference between two different drinks? So I have with me today. Uh, the authentic and the real, the one and only Coca-Cola, and I have as the smart price attempt at doing the real thing. So what we have here before us, thank you very much, is the real thing and the fake thing. So I'm going to get off the stage, come down here. What I need you guys to do is basically drink each one and then confidently at the same time, when the time is right, hold up the glass that you think is the real thing. I should have asked you before, do you know the taste of Coke? Okay, good. Right. They're fresh opened, yes. Yeah. So just hold these two in your hand for a moment. Are they chilled? They are not chilled, Johnny, no. And there is no ice and there is no lemon. For <laughs> my neck. Talk about high maintenance. Good luck, Chris. Right. Okay, well, let's try the smooth glass to begin with. If all of you can have a drink of the, the smooth, the tall one. You, you smelt it already, even though. Yeah, drink it all. Neck it. You don't have to drink it all. Interesting. Interesting. All right, Johnny. Yeah, well done. Cleared it up. Good man. No, it's, <laughs> it's, a lot, it's a lot better than eggs. You don't have to drink it all. 
So we've had that one. Savor it. Remember it. Now let's do the... Uh, oh, okay. Uh, Tom's drank them in the wrong order, but not to worry. So drink, <laughs> drink the other one then. <laughs> you can tell I didn't prep any of them before this morning. Okay. Okay, right. So that's that. That's that. So you remember each taste? On the count of three, just hold up to the audience which you think is the authentic, the real Coca-Cola. One, two, three. Hundred percent, bang on the button, congratulations. I should have mentioned there were serious prizes at stake. Welcome to the wonderful world of Haribo. Please don't eat them during the sermon because they rustle and make noise. Thank you very much. You're all thirsty now, aren't you? So the reason why I started with that um, should become clear. Um It sets the scene quite comfortably, I think, about what I want to share with you today. Because, um, in fact, shall we have the music? Which I forgot to ask for. Okay. You'll have heard this on the TV, on the radio, whichever. And there's a line in it about now, which comes up. Always the real thing. And it looks on and on and on. And they market and advertise Coke as the real thing. Because it makes it feel more authentic and more special. And if it's the real thing, and they market it as the real thing, then everything else is a poor and a fake substitute. Thank you. That'll do. So, if Coca-Cola brands itself as the real thing, um, the one and only saviour of the fizzy pop world, or at least that's what they would try and get you to believe, that you couldn't buy any other type of cola, the smart price value is just nowhere near as good. I mean, you can just tell the difference between the bottles. Which one would you rather have off the shelf? That's what, and in fact, this is the new bottle. They've just changed their new bottle. Um, but at the end of the day, no matter how much they brand it, how much it looks fancy and shiny and whichever, it's just a drink, so it's not going to change your life. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so today, for all of us, what I want us to do is whatever you're at, whatever you believe, whatever you've had this morning, whatever's happened last week, I want us all to stop, take a check, a reality check, and ask yourself, are you living in the reality of what Jesus has done for you? Are you experiencing and enjoying the real life that God has for you on this earth? Or are you settling for the value option and you're just filling up on whatever it is that's in there and out there just to get by? Do you want the real thing? Or are you filling up with the value? So today, I want to take us all on a Jesus journey. And I want to tell you some of the things that he said and some of the things that he did that have a huge implications for your life. Now, if you're a Christian and you're already walking with Jesus, then I hope this morning will be a huge encouragement for you. I hope it will be. I hope it's also a great reminder for you of the God that you are putting your faith in. But if you've never come to the point of believing in Jesus as the living son of God and entrusting your life over to him, then I'll put to you that Easter Sunday is a very important day for you. And my prayer before I even continue is that you today 
will taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. So let's look at some facts. The first stop on our Jesus journey takes us to this slide. Now, these people are both playing the same character. Who is the character that these people play? Anybody? Clark Kent. Clark Kent by day, but who is he when he reveals himself? He is Superman. Indeed. So we have the... The 80s, 70s Superman on the left-hand side, and Mr. Smallville, the new revamped Mr. Modern, far more good-looking, but still got a quiff, Superman. So that's Clark Kent, Superman. We also have, the next slide, who is that? Peter Parker, the new amazing Spider-Man on the left-hand side, and the other one. He is, of course, as you've already said, Spider-Man. Okay, that'll do. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we know who these two are. Clark Kent, Peter Parker. They both appeared to be normal, if a little geeky, and I don't know what it is with superheroes having to wear glasses all the time, but nonetheless, they appeared normal on the outside. They lived and worked amongst regular people. They looked no different, barring the glasses, to anybody else. But of course, these men are not normal. They have very special superpowers that made them stand out from the crowd. They are able to do what nobody else can do. So you could say that on the outside, they looked like value cola, but on the inside, they were the real deal. You could say that. Once they crack out, their amazing lycra onesies, and I don't know what it is of Superman's, but they always seem to have this lycra suit. They then reveal their power to all the masses of the public. And if you've ever watched their movies, you'll have seen they, they gather ra- large crowds who all want to see the Superman's X-ray eyes or his amazing power in Spider-Man, etc. In fact, in some episodes, you'll see Spider-Man and Superman, people calling out to them in times of trouble, save me, save me! And for supersonic here, he goes flying over and brings the saviour. Now, of course... Both of these guys are just made up. They are science fiction. They're just stories. But for this morning, let's compare them to Jesus, who is an historical fact. You could say that Jesus is the one and only real-life superhero that has ever lived. Just like Peter Parker and Clark Kent, Jesus looked no different to anyone else. He was a tradesman. He was a carpenter. He went to work. He had friends. He lived amongst the community. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, the Bible tells us Jesus will have no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There will be nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So there's nothing special about how Jesus looked. Nothing that would make him stand out from the crowd. There was no halo, so you can ignore all the stained glass windows and the paintings you see that Jesus walking around with a halo. He didn't glow in the dark. He was just a regular, normal guy with no special appearance. What it was that set Jesus apart from the crowd was what Jesus said and what Jesus did. He didn't need, thank God, a lycra costume to unleash his power. When the time was right, Jesus started his ministry and began to reveal who he was and what he came to do. Now, he spent three years preaching and teaching about the way to know God. And over this time, over this time, he, like Clark Kent, Peter Parker, gathered masses of crowds who were eager to hear what he had to say. 
And because he was speaking about the truth of God, these people were desperate to taste and see that God was real and that God was good. So let's take a look on our Jesus journey. Let's have a stop and look at what Jesus said. Now, as you may know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the main gospels of what Jesus said. I have only got about half an hour, so I have abridged four books worth into my own words. This is not heresy. This is just me summarizing what Jesus said. So my summary is similar to Jesus's preaching, which was uncompromising, very clear. He left no room for doubt. What he said was, was what he said. So it can be summarized in my mind like this. Stop wasting your life by living the way that you think is best. Stop being selfish and proud by doing what you want to do. Don't you realize that God made you for a purpose? That you live on his earth, breathing his air and eating the crops from his ground? You are alive for a reason. And that reason is to be in a relationship with God, your heavenly father. To know him, to walk with him, to be amazed at him, to enjoy being a child of God. It's time to get your focus right, Jesus was saying. This life is not all about you. And the more you reject God, the further from reality you fall. You slip into a life which is far from the one God has for you. A life without meaning, a life without hope, a life without purpose or power. You are far off from God, but I am here to restore you to the one who made you. Your actions and attitudes have consequences before God. By his law, you should be separated from God forever for rejecting him. Yet, because of his great love for you, I am here to take the penalty for your selfishness and disobedience. I will die in your place. And if you put your faith in me, my death and my resurrection will restore you to God. If you read the four Gospels, you will find all of that in there, but in different words. Now, Jesus, one of the things I love about him, was always bold. His declarations of truth from community to community, he never softened his message, never watered it down. If you didn't like it, it was coming at you anyway because you needed to hear it. And I love that. He made massive declarations, and here's some of them. He declared that he was the Son of God. He declared that he has been with God since before the world began. He claimed to have lived a sinless and a perfect life. He said that he had the authority to forgive people of their sins and their wrongdoing. He boldly announced that he was the one and the only one that we could know the God, the creator of all things. Only through Jesus could we know God. He announced that by trusting in him, we could have everlasting life with God in heaven. He predicted that the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees, he predicted they would reject his message and predicted that they would kill him. But he also declared that he has the power over death itself and said that three days after he would be killed, he would rise to life again. And finally, he announced that after his life, death and resurrection, that he would one day return to earth. But this time, it would be to hold us all to account on what action we took in response to his teaching. So here we have some very, very bold claims of Jesus, some of which are unprecedented and unparalleled by any other religious leader who has ever lived. So understandably, the people of his day who were hearing those things needed some convincing that Jesus was who he said he was. 
And if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, I have a fair guess that uh, that long list that I've read, you would want some convincing that Jesus was who he said he did. So on our Jesus journey this morning, let's take a look at what Jesus did. Jesus became known as a miracle maker. In fact, they've even created a children's story DVD called The Miracle Maker, and you can watch that at your leisure. Because everywhere he went, no matter what town, village, community, or people group, everywhere Jesus went, he performed signs and wonders which could only be done by the power of God. He began to demonstrate his supernatural power in amazing ways that left people speechless. It created a shockwave through every community and people group that Jesus met Now, I don't have time to look at all of his miracles in detail, but I want to draw attention to the fact that Jesus wasn't all talk. The reality of who he was and what he said was backed up by what he did. And these are facts, not fiction. We could look at the time when he instantly stopped a raging storm in an ocean just by speaking. Or we could look at the time when he crossed water on foot. We could look at the time when he fed more than 5,000 people using only a few loaves and some small fish. Or we could look at the time when he transformed 30 gallons of water into real wine. Now, if any of those miracles happened before you or me today, I guarantee that we would be impressed. Of course we'd be impressed. But I submit to you that if any of those things happened before you, it wouldn't be life-changing. It wouldn't transform your life. The tendency would be... That's a freak of nature. That's a bit weird. Ooh, spooky. Anyway, let's move on with my life. Jesus, knowing how we are, knows our hearts. He knows how doubting and how fearful, how cynical we can be. He knows the pains and he knows the sufferings that we go through, which is why the most frequently recorded miracles that Jesus did are times when he came up front, close and personal, and gave people spiritual and physical healing. Thousands and thousands of people had their lives changed by Jesus, and he showed them that God cares, that God has compassion on us, that he understands our physical and our emotional suffering, and he is prepared to step down from heaven and bring change into our lives. Now again, I could read you the many recording healings in the Bible that prove that Jesus has power to change your mind, your body, and your soul. But instead of reading them, I'm going to involve you. If Jesus has ever healed you in a physical or in a spiritual way, could you please raise your hand now? With your hands still raised, look around the room. Can you see the evidence of God at work in this place? Keep your hands raised. If you are here today and you are not a Christian and you don't believe in Jesus and you're thinking, I'm not really sure about what the Bible teaches, I don't really, I don't really understand the accounts of the Bible, is it real? Then before you go today, one of these people with their hands up, ask them what difference Jesus has made to their lives. You'll have an authentic, real story from people in this room, not just from the Bible, of the living and real Jesus. Thank you. You see, The message of Easter and the message for today and every day is that God's not dead. Jesus is alive today and he now has billions of followers across the world, many of whom are celebrating Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And if you think that some of the miracles I've mentioned so far are tricky to get your head around, 
then perhaps we should explore coming back from the dead. Now, no matter whether you are living in the time of Jesus or living in the time of now, that's a head-scratcher right there. Coming back from the dead. I mean, really? If someone came up boldly and just popped a gun at the side of my head and put me down, I'm not coming back from the dead because I'm not Jesus. That is fairly unique and fairly authentic. Everyone in this room knows that coming back from the dead is impossible. But as we sang earlier, nothing is impossible with God. And Jesus said as much in the book of Luke chapter 18. He said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. So let's take a look at how Jesus died. History records that Jesus was captured by the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of that time. He was taken to the Roman governors, Pilate and Herod, for trial. But neither of them could find any fault in Jesus, and they could find no reason to kill him. But the Pharisees refused to back down, and they gathered a crowd of their followers who repeatedly shouted and demanded Jesus be put to death. So eventually, Pilate gave in to public pressure, and sentenced Jesus to die by crucifixion alongside other common criminals. Jesus was killed because the Pharisees were offended at his teaching. They were stuck in their pride and they refused to believe in him on account of his miracles. But those religious leaders, they should have been the first ones to recognize God at work through Jesus. Because everything he was saying and doing was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Jesus was the promised saviour who would save the world from its sin and its selfishness. But the Pharisees refused to listen. And their response to the challenge Jesus was bringing was to kill him. And I wonder today what your response is to the challenge that Jesus is bringing this morning. What the Pharisees failed to understand was that the main reason Jesus came to earth was that so that he could die. Jesus said this repeatedly, but people and his disciples who were with him for years, they just didn't get it. Let's look um, together uh, in the book of Luke, chapter 18. And um, we're going to read from verses 31 to 33. That's Luke 18, verses 31 to 33. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he was captured. And I won't speak until it's on the screen. Sorry, Steve, should have given your heads up. So Jesus saying, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the son of man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. And that's exactly what happened. Our superhero, Jesus, saved us from spending an eternity without God by dying for us. Because that was the punishment that you and I deserve for living a life of pride and selfishness. For shutting out the God who created us and everything in the world. The only way that you and I can be reunited with God was for a perfect, sinless Jesus to take our place and to open up a way of forgiveness for us with God. And so on Good Friday, which has just passed, we remember the crucifixion of Jesus. And on Easter Sunday, today, three days after Good Friday, we remember the most amazing miracle of all, that Jesus came back to life. 
The Bible records the historic fact that the tomb where Jesus was buried was found empty and that Jesus himself appeared physically to not just one, not two, not three, and not even five people, but 500 different people saw the risen Jesus over a period of 40 days. You'll find that account in 1 Corinthians 15. And it's here where I want to make our second last stop on this Jesus journey. I want us to look at one account in the Bible of when Jesus appeared physically to his friends after he had risen from the dead. So Steve, it's John 20, verses 24 to 31. John 20, 24 to 31. Let me just uh, make sure I've got it myself, make sure my notes are right. Right, now this is the account of when the resurrected Jesus appeared to one of his disciples, Thomas. Now, Jesus had already appeared to the other disciples and to Mary Magdalene. And understandably, like you or I, they were stunned to see him alive and well. So John 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But Jesus, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving, you may have life in his name. Now, I personally absolutely love this account because it's one of the many examples of how honest the Bible is. Now, the New Testament writers, they could have, they could have glossed over some of the doubting disciples. They could have just written down and recorded the facts that would back up who Jesus was, but they didn't. They didn't leave out any of the details, and I thank God for Thomas. Because even though I've been a Christian for 11 years, there has been a number of times in my life when I've just had to sit down and recognize, Do you know what? I'm human. <laughs> I might be a Christian, but I'm human. There's been times when I've been cynical, many times when I've been cynical, doubting. There's times when I felt like God has let me down. There's times when I've questioned where God is, what's God doing. And I love the fact that God knows me, just like he knew Thomas. I love it that we don't have to pretend to be some kind of super Christian. So I can relate with Thomas when he says, I will not believe until I see Jesus. And the thing I want to impart to you today is that everything changed for Thomas when he had an encounter with the living Jesus He went from doubter to believer in an instant. He had another taste of God and it was good. (laughs) 
And there's yet more encouragement for us to believe because as Jesus said in verse 29, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Which means that if you believe in Jesus today, you are more blessed than Thomas, who spent three years as an eyewitness to hear Jesus firsthand. All of the miracles that Jesus did, Thomas was there. But Jesus said, if you believe in him without seeing any of that, you are more blessed than Thomas. That's amazing. More blessed than being in a position of putting your hands into the hand of the Savior. It's great. So if you believe today... In Jesus, you believe because he's alive by his spirit. Because after Jesus appeared to his disciples, he returned to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to all those who believe in him. The Bible records the start of the first Christian church in the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to 3,000 people in one day, 5,000 people by the end of the week. And 2,000 years later, there are 2.19 billion Christians worldwide. Why? Because they are all caught by the reality of the living Jesus who is alive by his spirit. They've put their faith and their trust of him and they have tasted and seen that God is good. And as many people put their hands up in this room, people here today have tasted and seen that the living Jesus is good. So we can enjoy the real life that God has for us instead of filling ourselves up with the cheap alternative which is so freely available. Because Jesus is alive. So let's go to our final stop on the Jesus journey. Our final stop takes us to this slide. Does anybody know where that is? Let's have a guess. Shout it out. Have a pop. There's some facts for you. This is a train station. I don't know if you can see it. 17 platforms. 2,000 trains in a day. 180 trains per hour at peak times. King's Cross, close. Clapham Junction. Has anybody been to Clapham Junction? Very good. I've been there, and I will never go back. It's a crazy, crazy place. I remember the first time going there. I was running late. People everywhere. Loads and loads of platforms. Totally confusing. I hated it. In fact, I lived in London for a year, and I hated London. That's another story. In fact, is there anyone here from London? No one here from London. Great. Well, there is someone from London. I'll pray for you later. The place with the Clapham Junction, as you, if you've been, and you've been at rush hour, right? 180 trains per hour at peak times. That's nuts. Look how many tracks there are up there. Absolutely nuts. So when I was there, there was people bombing along the footbridges, storming up the stairs, pushing past you, and then when they eventually got where they wanted to be, I got sucked into the crowd, and you got squeezed into a hot and sweaty train, and you're packed in there like sardines, feeling grateful that you're on the right train. And I think, oh, for goodness sake, hate London. I've mentioned that already. But anyway, I want us to consider Clapham Junction for just a moment because I feel, in many ways, it represents the busyness and the confusion and the disappointment that comes into our lives at various times. Whether you have boarded the Jesus train already, if you're traveling with him by faith through this life, this adventure of faith, or whether you're standing on the platform and you're actually in a place of indecision. You don't know if you want to board the Jesus train. You don't know if you want to, if you can dare to believe in what Jesus has got to offer. Or actually whether the crowd are all following that way, whether you want to go that way instead. 
Everyone, whether you're on the train or you're on the platform, everyone needs an encounter with the living God to taste and see that he is good. Jesus is the real thing. He promises to give you the fullness of his life by his spirit. And if you find yourself, for whatever reason, sitting on a train next to Doubting Thomas, then if doubts and cynicism and unbelief and fear have set into your journey, then by faith, I feel that God would say, get up out of your seat. Don't sit there in cynicism. You've got to break out of unbelief. There is hope in Jesus. There is freedom in Jesus. There is an authentic living God who has the best for you. And he loves you too much to leave you from where you are. There is more for you. And in Jesus today, he wants you to get up close. He wants to be personal, bang right in your face like he did with Thomas and hundreds of other. And he wants to give you faith for your journey. He wants to give you to faith to persevere if you're already on the Jesus train. And he wants to give you faith to get off the platform and meet him for the first time. Every day with Jesus is a day of renewal, a day of second chances, a fresh vision to see what's coming, a day of strength to endure the trials of life. It's a day because he is real, he is living, he is active, and he is at work in this place. And Jesus stands us before us today as the train conductor of our life, and he says, all change. Jesus stands before you and says, all change. Change can be uncomfortable, but Jesus wants you off that train of cynicism. He wants you off that platform of indecision, and he wants you to step into his purpose. He wants to move you from where you are to where he wants you to be. He wants you not to settle for second best. He wants you not to accept the lies in the world and the false promises that they bring. How can you do that? Not by your might, not by your strength, not by what you do or what you say, but by believing and trusting in the authentic living God, Jesus Christ. Now that might be for the first time or it might be for the hundredth time, but today is a day for you to stop, to see where you are at, to take that reality check, to come before God with a heart that wants to believe. Ask Jesus to come up close and personal. You do that. Then you hold on tight. Because your journey will have just gone up a gear. And as John shared earlier. God is at work in this place. Bringing restoration. New strength. New revival is moving in this room. Because God is alive and real. And active by his spirit. I wonder if I can ask the band to come up please. I was hugely encouraged by what John shared earlier because John used the phrase that your journey of faith is an adventure. And I knew what I was bringing today was about taking us through this journey. Whether you're already on the train or whether you're on the platform looking up thinking, can I board it? Can I board it? The journey with Jesus is an adventure. Yes, there are some times that you're stop and stuck and you're looking out and around thinking, I want to be over there. That track's got to be the best one. But Jesus says, no, <laughs> stay the course. Your journey is an adventure. Trust in me. I want to finish with a short video. I posted this on the church Facebook page last week. This video is a recording of a famous sermon once preached by a Baptist minister called Dr. Lockridge. Now his words are set to music, but they're very appropriate for the end of what I've just shared with you today. Dr. Lockridge attempts in his own words to describe who the real Jesus is, his character, his nature, his claims, his actions, and his purpose. And he keeps asking the question, 
Do you know him? And that's the question for you today. Is the real King Jesus over every aspect of your life, all of its suspect, all of its circumstances? Is King Jesus Lord of your life? If not, then the King is here to change that. Let's play this video. Let's hopefully play this video. (laughs) 